this first difference of control, that is, that's really the big fork in the road. And this is most likely the main factor in determining which option makes sense for the vast majority of families. Do you know what will happen to your loved ones when something happens to you? If you don't know the answer or don't like the answer, then this is the show for you. Listen up as we teach you about protecting your family legacy through better estate planning. Our family is here to protect yours. So welcome to the Complete Estate Planning Podcast with attorney Nick Rosenbauer. And here's your host, Ben George. Welcome back in to another episode of Complete Estate Planning with Nick Rosenbauer, the estate planning attorney and owner over at Rosenbauer Law Office, serving Westchester uh, right there with their office there. But they also serve Greater Cincinnati, Southern Dayton, uh, kind of that corridor as well. You can find them online at CincinnatiEstatePlan.com. And today we're talking wills versus trusts. You've heard of them both. You might have one or the other, and you might be thinking about as you're building an estate plan, what makes more sense for me? So we're going to try to explain the difference and Nick's going to really dive into it and tell you what one is versus the other and what the benefits are for each. So that maybe after hearing this conversation, you have a better kind of starting point when you sit down and meet with an estate planning attorney on what you want to talk about. So let me welcome Nick into the show. Nick, how are you? Doing wonderful, Ben. How about yourself? <laughs> I'm doing good. I heard uh, you just got back from a trip to New Orleans. Yes, I did. So this was our second attempt the wife and I were originally scheduled to go to New Orleans back in December uh, of last year, and it was going to be our first trip away from baby, more extensive than just leaving baby at uh, grandma and grandpa's house overnight. Yeah. And then, <laughs> and all my parents uh, listening out here will sympathize with this. And Ben, if you haven't had this happen to you, you will. Um, we are literally packing the car to go to the airport. I have the trunk of my car popped and we get a call from daycare saying, you need to come get him right now. You know, he's throwing up and, uh, and what have you. And we can't keep him through the end of the day. We have never had any caretaker call and say, you can't, you have to come get him right now until we were five minutes from heading to the airport. So we had to do that. We're driving to get him. The wife's on the phone with the airline in the hotel trying to cancel and reschedule everything. So we got to go this last time and we made it and nothing bad happened. Wonderful. <laughs> but uh, it was neat. I don't know if you've ever been to New Orleans. I'm I have, a bit yeah. of a you have? Yeah. I'm a bit of a history buff, and okay. my wife had been there a few years ago, and she kept saying, Nick, you you would love this place. You need to go, and couldn't really give me you know, a big concrete reason. She just said, there's something about it. You'll love the culture. You'll love the history, and so we go down there, and she was absolutely right. I can't really describe it, but just such a melting pot, um, and it, New Orleans wasn't always you know, an English colony. It wasn't always America. And then there's been people coming from all over the world there. So they have their own mash of their own culture, but it's not the Confederate South with uh, Confederate flags everywhere and things like that. Cause, and I didn't know this, but apparently uh, New Orleans was one of the first areas to fall and surrender to the North during the civil war. So it doesn't have the whole Southern Confederate 
vibe to it that there would be if you went to Tennessee or Alabama. Just it's really neat. A whole it's about four or five different cultures all thrown in the blender. And what they spit out is a lot of alcohol, a lot of partying, <laughs> yeah. a lot of Cajun seasoning, and really good food, but big helpings. There, there were a number right. of times my wife and I split a meal for dinner because I don't have I don't have room for seven pounds of food, um, <laughs> okay. and it's not like we could you know put it in the fridge and take it home on the plane with us. But it was a lot of fun. So any of you who haven't been there, it's unlike anything else that I've ever been to. But have been? Have you ever been anywhere else that has quite the same vibe? Well, that's what I was going to say. I think that's what makes New Orleans so special. Is that it really is a one-of-a-kind city in this country. And and I know New York is one-of-a-kind, but it still has that same basic American feel to it, the downtown. It's, sure. it's obviously older, much older than many other cities, so it's got a lot of history to it. But New Orleans is completely different, and it's a great walking city as well, which you don't always find in this country. It's, it's kind of got that European feel in which, you know, block to block, corner to corner, you got restaurants and bars and places to shop and that sort of oh, thing. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I obviously love it for the food and the drink and, and the culture. But yeah, it is just such a unique city all of its own that you have to go and experience one at least one time to really get a good feel for what it is. Yeah, absolutely. And we we did go to um, Bourbon Street two nights and we stayed out until midnight. Nice. Two nights in a row. So those of you who know my 930 <laughs> bedtime, we were out partying. And as we're leaving at midnight, my wife and I were yawning. Yeah. Okay. We're getting <laughs> bottles of water and pizza you know because we're out so darn late we feel like we need another meal and there's just flocks of people just pouring out there and looking at us like we're i felt like we were leaving the party at 9 p.m yeah <laughs> so i can't i can't hang i can't live there permanently but to to go there and suck it up for a couple nights to party we we did it i yeah. don't know if we really did it but we we went to Bourbon Street a couple nights. Yeah, you can stay out as long as late as you want there. Just make sure if you're up at like really early in the morning, Bourbon Street is pretty disgusting. Wait till they clean it up. The street the street sweepers come through, and they turn this thing over every day. But it is a uh, yeah, it's a different world on Bourbon Street. I'm glad you got to experience it though. Sounds like it was a great trip. Yeah, it was. It was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun. Great place to visit. I don't know if I'm cool enough or enough of a party animal to live there though. Yeah, no doubt. <laughs> I'm with you on in that boat as well. So, well, very cool. Thanks for sharing that, uh, that, that trip with us. Uh, looking forward to my next trip down there. Now I'm thinking about some of that seafood and some of that uh, gumbo and jambalaya they serve up is delicious. Well, let's move into our topic before I get too hungry and need to end the show. And we're talking Same about here. <laughs> comparing a will and a trust today because they essentially serve the same purpose, but you might have wondered, well, do I need a will or do I need a trust? What is the the big difference between the two? You might not know, and it, it's pretty common. Most people don't. I'm going to get filled in a lot today on this topic as well, so I'm looking forward to this conversation with Nick. So let's just kind of begin, just my, I guess my question for you, and I know I kind of mentioned it, but these are essentially the same type product in the sense that these are two different ways in, in which you can pass your estate down. They're not two completely different things in that regard. They're the same kind of vehicle for passing an estate to your heirs. That's right. And I, I guess they are two different options for accomplishing the same goal. Okay. okay? So there's a number of ways to pass on your inheritance or uh, your assets 
to the heirs, the children, grandchildren, whoever they are after you pass away, a will, a last will and testament. Okay, it's it's very common. It's probably something most people are familiar with, and and many people probably have. It is quick, easy, simple. Um, it is limited in what it can do. Not that it can't pass things on, but how it can pass things on and what limitations it has. It's kind of the the simple version, if you will. And then the trust, uh, a living trust, revocable trust, family trust, those are all you know brand phrases for a trust. And most people have at least heard of a trust. It does the same, it accomplishes the same goal, passing the inheritance on after you're gone. But at the same time, it has so many more abilities, if you will. There's so many more tools in the toolbox uh, than there would be for the will. So it's basically a will on steroids, uh, I think, <laughs> is, is the way we describe it. And to be honest with you, when I sit down with families and we're starting from scratch, starting from square one, it is one of the biggest questions that we have to answer. So we know we have to pass things on. How do we do that? And you know, should we look at door number one or door number two? I guess is probably a good way to put it. And this is something I've been asked probably every single day for you know the better part of a decade. Okay. Well, let's talk about what would help determine whether you want to go with door number one or door number two. And really, it's about pointing out the differences and understanding what you're getting with each. So the first big difference, and I guess one of the key differences between these two, and you kind of touched on it with the Swiss Army knife, but control, having that control with the trust is a huge difference between these two things. This first difference of control, that is, that's really the big fork in the road. And this is most likely the main factor in determining which option makes sense for the vast majority of families. And the will, the last will and testament, I'm, I'm going to use those words interchangeably, the will is very specific, it is very limited, and it is very cut and dry as far as what it can and cannot do. The will, for lack of a better term, is you know the, the, the basics, it's the, the ground level. And what it can do is it can say who gets what when I'm gone and who's in charge. Okay, and that's that's pretty much the end of the sentence. So if you want to say both of my kids get half my money when I'm gone, a will can accomplish that. Okay. The end. Um, so if you want to get into much more than that, we are getting beyond the scope or beyond the abilities of what a will can do. Now, another problem and look, I wouldn't even say this is a problem. Some people, that's all they need, that's appropriate, and that's good enough. That checks all the boxes for them. However, one of the issues with a will is when you get into a situation where what I just mentioned isn't good enough. Okay, so let's say we have children who are minors. Well, if you wanted to, you know, if you don't like the idea of giving them a big check on their 18th birthday, which uh, here in Ohio, at least when you're 18 as an adult, then, you know, the will can't do that. Because okay? I said the will can say who gets how much, obviously, assuming you're an adult. If we are concerned with their ability to manage money, if we're concerned or we want to say, here's what I want you to spend the money on, here's what I do not want you to spend the money on or I don't want you to get all of the money all at one time. 
or I don't want the money to be released to you and then have the risk of you spending all of it and there's nothing left to take care of your own children. Okay. Cause I, I have a lot of clients and, and you and I've already talked about this where they like the grandkids more than the kids. And so the only reason they give it to the kids is because they want the kids to spend it on the grandkids, which are really who their, their favorites are. And, and I'm going to say control from the grave a lot. I mean, that as a good thing. I think it okay. gets a bad rap uh, but that's that's not my opinion. So if you want something where writing a check after you're gone, here you go, have a nice life. Hopefully you take good care of this money that mom and dad left you. If that is not good enough and that doesn't sound like it would make you comfortable with how that plays out after you're gone, we are at the limit of a will. And with a trust, you can basically... Think of it like a, a blank page, okay? So instead of having a story book or a script that you have to follow and lines you have to, to stay within, with the trust, it's basically you create your own private entity or you create your own private contract. You pick the rules and you say whatever you want. So, for example, for my wife and I, we decided we did not want our son God forbid something happens to us while he's young. We did not want our son to get a huge check on his 18th birthday. I don't think that's a great idea. So we put in some rules to say that he doesn't get the check at age 18, but someone else can be the guardian or in charge of his money, and they can use it for tuition and medical bills and his needs and things like that. But he doesn't get to call up and say, give me $50,000. I need a new car. Okay, someone can veto that, so to speak, and then we have it set up to when he's a little older, to 25, and then at 30, then a few installments are released to him. So, you know, not that I'm saying that's the right plan or the wrong plan, but uh, what I'd like to go through is the fact that we just picked that, and we didn't have any rules or guidelines or limitations on how we did it. So that is really the big difference as far as control. If you want to have any sort of control or protection after you're gone, the trust does that. The will basically hands them a check. Okay. Yeah. Well, that makes a lot of sense then on what the two can accomplish. And a trust, yeah, so much more control. And I guess I try to just think of a situation where, I mean, what, why would somebody go with a, a will over a trust? Is it just because they don't have as much to leave or they're just ready just to hand it all over? They're not going to overthink it too much. It just seems like given the option between the two, the trust just makes a lot more sense, but there's got to be more to it. Well, it's a great observation. And in many cases, the trust can do a better job. In the vast majority of cases, the trust can do a better job. I've had some situations where and I'm not saying this is the most important thing in the world, but because of the amount of money that a family has, the amount of money we're dealing with, you know, we don't we don't need all the protections. Uh, think about this: maybe giving someone a check for twenty thousand dollars all at once—that's a whole lot different than giving them a check for two million. Right. Right. Two million dollars is enough to ruin your life, <laughs> and twenty thousand dollars. Uh, look, it's a lot of money, but I don't think most people would get a check for $20,000 and then drop out of school and quit their job 
and buy a million dollar house that they can't afford and in their mind feel like you know they have enough to live on the rest of their life so it's to whom more is given more is expected mm-hmm. um, i believe is or that's close to the phrase so it's about being responsible um, secondarily i've had situations where people don't want to overthink it and they just maybe they're not comfortable with the process and, and going through this in general or what if they have children who are in their 50s or 60s very responsible doing just fine and if you pass away tomorrow and we handed both of the kids a check that'd be fine not worried about it there aren't any problems so the less problems the less concerns we have usually the simpler we can make it another thing and i don't this is going to sound bad and i don't mean it that way but there's sometimes where people are not concerned about what happens after they're gone and when the money goes to the heirs. I've had some people say they're adults, they can blow it, they can be responsible for it, but it's their choice to make, and I don't really care. And if that's the case, that's fine. Um, Sometimes people who don't have children, and maybe they're leaving money to charities or, you know, extended family, and they say, Nick, it's not worth it to me. And look, setting up a trust costs a lot more money, and it's a lot more time, and it's a little bit more headache. Now, most of the headache's on the attorney, but it's still more work and definitely more money for the family. And I've had some people say, look, this is going to charity. It's going to my my nephews and nieces. It's an added bonus to them. I'm not going to spend the extra money to make their lives easier when they're already getting a nice big inheritance from aunt and uncle. They can deal with it on the back end, and if they blow it, I don't really care. They'll be fine. That's on them. So there's a number of situations where you don't need a trust, but you know if the will is good enough or can do a good enough job that you're comfortable and you can sleep well at night, don't pay for the trust. For you know you'll you know it's it's a waste of extra money and extra effort in that instance. I got you. Okay. Well, the other part of this decision making process is. The other difference, and we talked about kind of while you're living that control over your your trust versus the will. The other part of this is kind of after you pass, how it's administered on the back end. That is a huge difference between the two. Well, exactly. And the two are interlocked, if that makes sense. So the control or lack of control comes from how they are administered. Okay. So a last will and testament, uh, the road that it drives on, if you will, as far as passing things on to your heirs after you're gone. You drive through the probate, the local county probate court. And the probate court has very, very strict, very regulated rules on how everything gets done, what order things are done in, what can be done, what cannot be done. And the the probate judge has the ability to monitor and supervise and rubber stamp everything, if that makes sense. So what ends up happening is you have a one-lane road if you go through the probate court. And because of that, you know, with your last will and testament, and because of that, most of the rules are already written up for you, okay? And some people, and look, probate's not a four-letter word. But there are certainly some drawbacks to probate. So the probate process, it is public record. So if you go to the local county probate court 
and look at their records department, you can see everything. Nowadays, most counties have their records online. So I can go on to Butler County Probate Court, because that's where our office is here in Butler County, and I can look up uh, the name of someone who passed away. I can see the will. I can see the inventory, which lists all the assets they have and how much they're all worth. So I can see their entire net worth. I can see who's getting everything. In a lot of circumstances, I can see their names and addresses, contact information. I can see when they're getting it. I can see how much everyone charged. I can see everything. Okay, so it's a very public process. Some people don't like that. Also, as you may have guessed, when we go to court, it takes a long time and it costs a lot of money. So through the probate process, under almost every circumstance, it's not a good idea to do it without an attorney. So someone like me gets paid and they get a nice paycheck. I will say that. And a lot of times I tell people in most circumstances, we'll, we'll plan on this taking about a year, maybe a year and a half. And that's assuming there isn't fighting. Okay. So it takes a while. It's not just go to the probate court's office, give them the will, give them the death certificate, and then hand the money over to them. Does it work that way at all? The process, like I said, can be very time-consuming, can be very costly. Now, what is the flip side of that? With the trust, and as I already alluded to this, it's a private contract or a private entity, and it is self-supervised. So we do not need to go through and drive on the probate court's one-lane highway, if you will, and, and do things the one way we can set all of our own rules. We do not need the probate judge to rubber stamp everything. We don't need to wait on the county probate court to, to move on to the next step. And you have no limits as to how you want these things to go. And more importantly, you'll notice since we're not dealing with any courts, there's no public record of this. Okay, my wife and I, we have a trust. When we pass away, Nick and Alicia Rosenbauer's living trust will not be in the Butler County records. That's no one's business. How much money we have, you will not find that online. You will not find who gets the money or how the inheritance plan is set up or how much we had or how much was in the bank or a copy of our will or our trust. You won't find it. So for my clients who value privacy, sometimes that's the reason we go with a trust. And because of that, it's much more flexible, obviously. And mm -hmm. we can do things a whole heck of a lot faster because we don't necessarily need an attorney to guide us through the probate court process. And instead of a year, year and a half, we're talking a few months. The, the big delay to hold this up would be if we have trouble selling a house. But usually, especially in today's market, right now, you know, people's houses get sold before they even put the for sale sign on the lawn, at least here in the greater Cincinnati area. So all the hurdles, if you will, are pretty much gone, if that makes sense. Well, two things from that, from that answer. I didn't know it was all common or public record, essentially for oh, yeah. that information. So I could go down and, and look up somebody or do you have to be a lawyer to actually be able to request that information? Just Google Butler County, Ohio probate court. Wow. Click on their website and then look at court records. Jeez. Okay. 
I mean, or, or, or whatever county you're in, yeah. uh, just go to their probate court and type in the name of your dead neighbor who died six months ago, and you'll see everything. Wow. I had no idea. That's very interesting. Oh, yeah. And so I guess the other part of this, kind of my, my perspective is, it's almost like you're with the will, you're, you're kind of passing along some of the cost of a trust to, uh, to your heirs going through this, this legal process. Uh, and it's just kind of a bit of a, a little bit more of a headache too, essentially, I guess for, for many people. Um, yes. And I'm not saying that's always a bad thing. Yeah. Sometimes that is, but you are going with the will based plan in many circumstances, you are doing things quicker, easier, cheaper, with less headache on the front end, okay. knowing that once you're gone, your loved ones will be having to settle things slower, more headaches, and much more costly. Now, the, the cost for the probate process, so normally with anyone with any decent size estate, and, and heck, even with a house with worth $200,000, a lot of times these probate fees are in the tens of thousands of dollars. Easy. Oh, geez. Wow. And the bad thing is it's this that's not even me being a slime ball Scrooge McDuck attorney <laughs> and just licking my chops and thinking how much money can I con this grieving widow or these grieving children into paying me when they just lost their parent or their spouse. Uh, Ohio. Uh, has, and I believe most states, have a guideline fee schedule. Okay, so all I have to do is go to the local county's website, and I bring, half the time, I bring the laptop into the meeting because they won't believe me otherwise. And I type in the value of their estate, hit calculate, and say, here's what the state of Ohio says I is a guideline fee that I should charge you to get this taken care of. And it's it can be very very, very, very expensive. And it's it's usually in favor of the attorney, I yeah. guess, is, is the best way to look at that. <laughs> Sounds like it. Um, yeah. And it can be extremely, extremely expensive. And just to give you an example, um, let's say we're just talking about a $200,000 house. The guideline fee for me to settle that is about $8,500. Okay. Okay. So, and if we're talking a $2 million estate, eh, almost 50000 Okay. So the, let's just say probate lawyers have a lot nicer suits and drive a lot fancier cars than the people who spend most <laughs> of their time uh, setting clients up uh, the right way. Now we, we certainly do probates. Okay. And I've had a number of people come in and, you know, they were not our clients and then, or the kids, call me and say they have a friend who needs help. So we certainly do probates. I will say on the back end, I make a heck of a lot more money settling probates than setting up the will or even setting up the trust to avoid the probate process. So nine times out of 10, setting up the trust, it's a net positive when you count in how much it costs to settle things on the back end. And they're a fortune and people don't don't think about it. And, and a lot of attorneys just churn out a few simple template wills and say, promise to have your children call me when you're dead because their retirement account, their, their <laughs> retirement annuity is all of their clients dying and them making all that money on the probate process on the back end. Wow. Well, I understand the process a lot more after this conversation. I got a couple of two quick questions. And again, sure. for anybody that li hasn't listened before, I'm 
don't have a lot of knowledge on the subject. Nick is the expert. So I'm gonna, I might ask some pretty basic questions that you might hear and say, what is this idiot talking about? But they come to <laughs> mind. So I figure I might as well throw them at you. So a couple of things that came to mind. So first off, I know when you're working with a will and you set up beneficiaries for your uh, retirement accounts, those beneficiaries outweigh what's in your will. Is that the same with the trust? If you put in your trust, hey, I want my 401k to go to my son at age so-and-so, does that outweigh what's actually in that retirement account? Yes, uh, it will. And sometimes that's good. Sometimes that's bad. So a beneficiary designation is a private deal between you and whatever company has your account. So let's just say Fidelity or Charles Schwab or US Bank, whomever it is, you're making a deal with them saying, when I pass away, when my wife hands you a death certificate, you give her the money. Okay. So we don't need the probate process to move that money. It's not stuck. So that will bypass it. Okay. That also would happen if we had a trust. Now, if the attorney funded the trust and lined everything up correctly, in many circumstances, your trust should be the beneficiary of that asset after you pass away so that the money should then transfer into the trust and all the protections we talked about are handled. Um, okay. But yes, so it, the, the beneficiary designation rules what happens with that specific asset, regardless of whether you have a will, a trust, or nothing. Now, a good attorney will make sure that the beneficiary designation matches and lines up with whatever type of plan mm -hmm. that you've set up. But the beneficiary designation uh, is the trump card in that case. Okay. And the last thing, and I think you've answered this. I think I have the answer from what we've talked about, but just so I, I'm completely clear. Is there ever a situation where you'd want to have both a will and a trust? Is that, is that possible at all? Yeah. Great question. And if we have a trust... There is a special type of will that you need to have. Okay. Um, it, is a, it is a type of will that you hopefully will never need. And I always tell my clients that I hope this is just a waste of pieces of nice paper. It is known as a pour over will, P-O-U-R over, as in it pours over into the trust. And all it is is a safety net that says if I pass away, if I accidentally have anything going through my probate estate, because obviously if you have a trust, everything should be lined up with the trust and you should not have a probate estate. But you know we've already talked about previously on why sometimes that doesn't happen. But anything accidentally in my probate estate, once probate's done, forward it on to the trust so that my trust can handle that. So if you anyone who has a trust needs this special type of last will and testament, that basically acts as the seatbelt or the airbag for the trust. Great. Well, it wasn't an awful question after all. So I no, feel that was a great question. I'm relieved. I'm relieved. Well, great. Well, we really, I mean, we, we went into a lot in this conversation and hopefully uh, you made it to the end because I think there's a lot of really good information in this, but I definitely have a better sense of what a will is versus a trust, why I might need it, why I might not need it. So overall, I think this was a, an outstanding conversation. Hopefully everybody got some value out of it. But let me remind you too, if you have any further questions beyond what we've discussed, you can always go to CincinnatiEstatePlan.com. There you'll find a lot of resources, but most importantly, you'll find out how to connect with Nick. Everything's right there on the website, but his number as well, if you want to jot it down, is 
463-6789. And uh, you can talk about this completely because he is an estate planning attorney. We'll make sure it is done the right way so that you don't have to worry about your loved ones on the back end. So Nick, a, a great conversation, man. I really enjoyed it. Uh, I appreciate it. If nothing else, it, I got a lot of value out of it for sure. So I'm sure other people will. Wonderful. And I'm glad, uh, glad we can go over it. And, and, and Ben, frankly, it's those are questions that I, I go through all the time. So I'm sure there'll be uh, great questions to help out our listeners. Outstanding. Well, make sure you subscribe to Complete Estate Planning and uh, you'll have the next one delivered every two weeks. We got a brand new episode for you. We'll be covering a ton of estate planning topics and look forward to having you come along for the ride. So whether you're on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, doesn't matter. We'll be on every platform. So hit subscribe and uh, we'll join you on the next one. So thanks for listening. For Nick, I am Ben. This has been the Complete Estate Planning Podcast. We'll talk to you on the next episode. The Complete Estate Planning Podcast is brought to you by the Rosenbauer Law Office, based in Westchester, Ohio, and serving the entire Cincinnati area. The show is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and everywhere you listen to podcasts. Subscribe to the show on your favorite app today and never miss an episode. Just search for Complete Estate Planning with Nick Rosenbauer to find us or visit CincinnatiEstatePlan.com to listen to past episodes, to contact Nick, and to learn more about protecting your family legacy. That's CincinnatiEstatePlan.com. This show is for informational purposes only and does not provide any legal advice. Information on this show may not constitute the most up-to-date legal information. Please do not act or refrain from acting based solely on anything you hear on this show. This show does not form any attorney-client relationship with the Rosenbauer Law Office, LLC. Please seek the counsel of a qualified attorney before addressing your own estate planning needs.